You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. FreeCR's annual Radiothon fundraiser launches in June. We need your financial support to be independent, community-controlled and focused on people rather than profits. Your support during Radiothon keeps the station strong and enables us to give voice to hundreds of people and issues for another year. And remember, any amount you can afford makes a big difference and all donations over $2 are tax-deductible. 3CR Radiothon, show your support during June 2022. 3CR, keep community strong. Now that heart is beating fast And that's the rhythm I can dance to I'm mighty glad I've got a chance to That one big heart that's beating fast Tomorrow morning let it rain Tomorrow morning, let it pour. Tonight we're in the groove together. Ain't gonna worry about stormy weather. Gonna kick all trouble out the door. Beat out old trouble and drum. Beat out old trouble and drum. Beat out. And kick all trouble out the door Beat me that rhythm on the drum Beat me that rhythm on the drum Beat me that rhythm on the drum And kick all trouble out the door Kick him 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 out the door Welcome Radical Australia and Community Radio 3CR. This program is streaming live on 3cr.org.au. The program is podcast, so you can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. This program is produced by Kelly Whitworth, the world's greatest producer, and the has-been Joseph Toscano is your host. So, now before we speak to our guest, Kelly, we do have a guest, do we? We do. I'm pleased that you put your hand in the snow town barrel and pulled out a guest. That's nice. But I'd like to remind our listeners, the millions of people listening to this program, maybe the seven people, that the 15th of June is a radio phone. That's right. We need to raise a 1000 to keep 3CR on air for another year. It's not much to ask of you, you know. A good cigar costs a $1,000, you know that. So uh, keep it in mind. And you can ring up during the uh, program. That's on the 15th. That's two weeks' time. And hopefully we'll be able to raise the money necessary to keep 3CR on air for another year because I can assure you there is no other program like this. Now, Kelly, who's our guest? We should um, let him introduce himself, I reckon. You can't pronounce his name. Oh, I Max, I don't think can. she can pronounce your name, Max. Uh, that's all right. Hi. Uh, hi. A bit louder, mate. Hi, how are you? Good. Um, yes, so my name's Max Kearney. Um, Kearney? Kearney, yep. Ah. Maltese name. A Maltese name, is it? It is, yeah. Ah, that's interesting. Ah, we're almost brothers. Oh, really? Yeah, I'm yeah. Sicilian, so you're Maltese. Background, I'm a Sicilian background. We're, we're neighbours. Oh, how's that? Yeah, well, Malta and Sicily. 
Oh, great. <laughs> what do you mean? Don't you know? I mean, you're, I mean, you're a great activist. Not that interested, Joe. Well, of course he'd be interested in, in his background because that's what Very we're going to talk about, Max. You know that. Yeah. <laughs> so, so what's the what's the name on the birth certificate? Is it Maximilis? Uh, Max M M A X I M. Max M. Which I, I don't think is anything particularly Maltese or Irish. It's my other bit of my heritage, but. Right. Yeah, I, don't know. I think it was just a creative choice by okay. <laughs> Yeah, they sound like crazy people having you, I think. <laughs> yeah. So, what year were you born? Uh, 1995. 1995. You're a youngster, you realise that. I think uh, Kelly was born, what, 40 years ago or 42 years 78. ago? 78, I'm a 78, 78 baby. And I was born in 51. We're talking to a young person. That's wonderful. You know, we don't have young people on Radical Australia. Oh, really? Of course we do. Of course we do. Of course we do. Of course we do. Now, where were you born? Uh, I was born in East Melbourne. East Melbourne. That, that's a pretty yeah. upmarket address, East Melbourne. I... Well, I, I'm sorry. I mean, that was where I was. I was oh, you were at the hospital. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, at, the, at the old, uh, at the, was it the Freemasons or the... Uh, Mercy? Know, I've yeah. forgotten what it was, yeah. Might, might be the Mercy, I reckon. Yeah, but I don't know. East Melbourne, yeah. yeah. Not, not too sure. Yeah, well, they saved my son. They did. There, when he was born, he was pretty sick, and they were very good. Very, very good. So, obviously, you were born in a good place. Yeah. But uh, where were you living? Come on, mate. Um, I, yeah, so in the Yarra, Yarra Valley. Uh-huh. Um, so, yeah, my first, oh, I guess I lived in Millgrove when I was a baby. Right. Um, and then moved up um, on top of a mountain near Hillsville. Yep. Um, and, yeah, lived there. It's, um, a, it's great country, isn't it? I used to rent a caravan down at the Hillsville Caravan Park before it was taken over by the corporates for years, and uh, it was a great place. Yeah, no, very, I don't know, yeah, I, I had a very privileged upbringing, I think, in terms of not necessarily... You know, not the richest people ever, but I think you know, living, yeah, I guess you know, had a lot of, um, a lot of very nice people around and lived in the forest, and yeah, I guess it was pretty, pretty good in that way. I guess yeah. I think it's contributed a lot to my what I'm doing now, I suppose. Right. So you said you got Irish background and Maltese background. So uh, are your parents still alive? Yeah. Yeah. And look, look, I know they're alive, so we can't slander them. What type of parents were they? Um, oh, they're uh, pretty good. Yeah. Um, you know, like I think they made a lot of, you know, like I think, I mean, I don't really know because I haven't had kids, but I think parenting probably would be particularly difficult. Um, mm. I think I wasn't necessarily the easiest child. Right. Um, but, um, yeah, I think, I don't know, something mum, mum's told me is, you know, she um, tried not to crush my spirit. And it was one of, you know, like I think they both did quite a good job of kind right. of letting me, yeah, I guess, you know, um, I guess there's a lot of things. Well, I I see a lot of things in this society that are designed to crush children's spirits, mm. and I guess that was something that that they, yeah, like I think they both put big effort into that with yeah myself and and my sister to kind of let us you know do our thing. So it, it seems they made a conscious decision to live in this environment, did they, or was this was yeah. it work related? No, no, it was it was um, well, yeah, yeah, it was it was. Yeah, I, I guess we lived on a um, we live in a housing um, commune, I suppose. Right. Tell so, us yeah, about it. 
Um, yeah, so it's called Moramura. Um, the housing cooperative, um, and yeah, there's about 60 people who live up there on um, kind of one bit of land. Um, and yeah, I guess it was, you know, I guess it was a very, um, you know, there's lots of other kids around when I was growing up. Um, you know, we had a lot of like shared facilities and stuff like that. Um, so, but yeah, you know, so there was always, you know, a couple of people my age, a few people probably older and younger. You know, my whole childhood, there was lots of, I guess, lots of different sort of relationships with people who weren't necessarily in my nuclear family or anything like that, but who were very close. And, yeah, I guess, you know, I, I, I guess, you know, for, yeah, yeah, so it's quite, um, yeah, like I think quite a, uh, in, in environment that, um, yeah, has, has helped me, um, I think, be, be, yeah, well, yeah, I guess it was just quite a diverse, um, yeah, sort of community out there. Right. Well, that's a very conscious decision, obviously. It's kind of a radical decision your parents made to live uh, communally. Um, yeah. And that, so that was, what, 30 years ago in the 90s, though. Is that they moved there initially uh, or they moved there later on in life when you were a bit older? No, no, they moved there when I was one. When uh, you were one. They made that decision. Yeah. So yeah. why do you think they made that decision? What's What sets them apart from other people? Um, from their era, you know, who go, go to yeah. work nine to five? Oh, like I think they both, you know, like I think they probably both had, you know, I guess they're brought together over, you know, some, some shared kind of concern about the world and, that, you know, they both have been politically active in in some ways and yeah I guess you know they found out about this sort of place and were like yeah you know with you know the, the way society's you know I guess society was pushing towards you know a hyper individualized world and they yeah they were like you know I, I think we probably need to have some more you know take it back to you know I guess more more community style living and um, yeah like I think yeah like I know my mama has said that you know uh, you know when she was lucky enough to be, you know, to have the idea that it's possible to not live, you know, in a, like, yeah, you know, I guess in a conventional way, she was you know, pretty keen to, to do that and, and, and understand that about this place and I think just seize the opportunity, I suppose. Right. And do you have any connection with your grandparents? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I did. They're all dead now, but... Um, right. Yeah, they died when I was like ten or something. But um, right, were they they had were a similar mind, or did they were they kind of despairing when their kids took up this type of alternative lifestyle? Um, oh, like I think the yeah, like I think they you know they weren't total like conservatives um, or anything like that. Like I think that you know there's yeah, I guess on on both sides um, some involvement in activism, more political stuff. I don't know. Not necessarily know how serious it was, um, but yeah, like I guess the apple didn't fall straight down to where they were. They definitely landed a bit towards the left, but you know, it wasn't total surprise oh, either. Right, um, right. Well, yeah. well, do you know if your grandparents were born in Australia or they came here from overseas? Um, born, well, all of them were born here, apart from my Maltese grandfather. Right, and what was he like? Um, oh, he was he. Um, but he was he was a he was a lawyer, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, I guess he also I guess I know one of the stories that I found out at his at his funeral was that one of his some friend of his that he met at university 
like he he he, was, he had his legal practice um, happening, and then kind of in the back room of his office, there was just one of his friends who had kind of like a mental breakdown, and he just kind of had 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 him living in in the office for nice. decades. Just kind of I don't know. So I guess you know, kind of I don't know a little bit. Like he was definitely definitely a pretty pretty interesting guy who was apparently doing you know a bit of kind of political organising at at the time, but um, right. you know, like I think. Also, we found it. You also found out later that you know, he was doing that sort of kind of community mind stuff. But I know that was someone said he was also voting liberal the whole way through, so not telling anyone either. So, right, <laughs> know, it's a bit of a funny kind of yeah. mix. But yeah. oh well, you know it happens. It no, happens, nice, mate. Right. You know you do what you yeah. got to do to help your mates. That's the way it goes. You know yeah. that. So, did your parents do traditional type of work, or did they have a different type of work on, on, on the uh, this this community you're talking about? Is there Shared work that everybody does, or is everybody kind of self-contained? Um, so everyone kind of has their own house and their own little bit of area around the house. Mm. Um, but yeah, I guess there's things like um, these have like a work day every month where everyone would kind of yeah, just like a big day to try and you know work, work on the property and try and you know do a bit of regen on it and that sort of stuff. Um, my mum was a land manager there, so she, I think it was like something like five grand a year, something mm. like that. To, to like, uh, she did like one day a week work. I guess she did lots of different sorts of work when I was a kid, but that was one of the things. She had one of the only kind of paid positions on the on the cooperative the community yeah. to yeah, yeah to um yeah. to manage the land and that sort of stuff. And yeah. so my dad was kind of working working like three days a week in kind of like um, land care and kind of um, yeah, I guess like studied forestry with the intention of doing environmental stuff mm. um and yeah i guess always worked in that kind of landscape space or kind of in re-vegetation sort of things um as well and why do you think they were so um involved with their uh, environment i mean most most people you know we look at a tree and we look at a tree but they seem yeah. to have this deep association with the uh environment around them and, 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 and they understood that you need to be part of it in order to, you know, maintain it. Yeah. Did they come from that type of background or was it something they developed? So it, I know yeah, it's difficult know. For, for, for a child to know much about their parents. That's what my kids complain about all the time. Yeah. So, but <laughs> <laughs> why do you think they, I mean, this is a quite a deep commitment when you think about it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know. Like, I think they're probably, yeah. I guess, I guess, exposed to like, you know, to, to some sorts of, yeah, you know, like. I think on both sides, they're involved in the labour movement and stuff like that. So I guess they kind of, you know, I guess had some kind of foundation in like social equality and that sort of, you know, being being socially minded. And then I think, right. you know, each of them, yeah. Like I think, like I think they were just drawn to that that sort of thing as well um you know like definitely did a lot of you know um kind of yeah i mean we did heaps of outdoor stuff when i was young and you know like mum mum was an outdoor guide for a while and yeah like i think they just you know felt but yeah i guess probably through a bit of like stumbling into different places and realizing that they like it but then also Mm -hmm. kind of choosing actively to, to do things that made them feel probably a bit more whole Right. Um, yeah. So, as far as your childhood was concerned, um, were you schooled on the property, or did your sister and yourself 
leave every day to go to school? Yeah, yeah, we left every day. So we went to um, just a primary school. Um, well, a couple of different primary schools in the valley. Right. Um, like what? Uh, school. First time was called Chum Creek Primary mm-hmm. School. Yep. Um, and then I had a two-year experiment at Steiner School, which wasn't that successful. Um, Why do you think? To, I mean, it's all, it's all a rage these days. My uh, one of my grandsons is in a Steiner school. Why do you yeah. think you weren't successful in it? What didn't you like about it? Oh, I, I, got, I got suspended a lot. You got suspended from a Steiner school. Oh, look, that that's not yeah. good. I mean, we've had uh, we've had kids. I've interviewed people who've been you know suspended from kindergarten. This is almost as bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What were you doing? Climbing trees? What were you doing? Uh, I, 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 I don't know. I think it's just talking too much or something like that. Oh, um, right. And, yeah, like, yeah, I guess... It was you didn't just, try to burn down the school or anything like that? No, no, no. I mean, <laughs> like, I had, I just spent a lot of time, but a lot of it was just mostly talking and, and, I guess, refusing to be obedient as much as they would like. Excuse um, me. Excuse me. Have you Do you, do you ever look at the uh, psychiatric... Uh, uh, list of uh, psychiatric disorders. Have you ever had a looked at it? It's quite fascinating. No. There's a some uh, there's a new uh, uh, psychiatric illness being actually uh, added to the list. You know what it's called? Mm, Authority defiance syndrome. Jeez. You sound like a classical case of authority defiance syndrome. Well, yeah, I mean, probably. <laughs> <laughs> probably because my fear wasn't crushed when I was young. Yeah, relax, relax, mate. It just just shows you how ridiculous things are that, you know, we're getting to the stage where we're actually pathologising anti-authoritarianism. It's a syndrome, you know, that needs to be treated in kids. It's just just ridiculous. (laughs) That's what I was trying to allude to. Yeah, it's a bit scary. Yeah, I I, I had that. um, I've just been to a court recently and um, had this, like, yeah, they did an assessment on me, and yeah, one of those questions was, you know, yeah, do you, do you, what do you feel about authority and stuff like that? And I was like, what? if I say, if I say that, I'm going to, you know, you're going to slap me much harder. Yeah, we'll go into that later on, but uh, yeah, because I'm sure you had an interesting experience with the judicial system here in, Vic- was it in Victoria or in New South Wales? Oh, it was in New South Wales. Yes, oh, that's even better, that place. Um, so, how did you get on with your sister? Oh, very well. Very uh, well. And you still get on? Yeah. We, yeah. we live together, actually. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Don't tell me she's an activist, too. She is, yeah. Yeah. She, yeah. Is. she is. She is. Yeah, yeah. Your whole family's been infected by this activism business, you know? I know. I don't know where it came from. It must have been a virus your, your dad and mum picked up and then transmitted through the placenta to you, I think, and your sister. Yeah. Well, what's it? What's it? I mean, you were born in 95, so you're not, you're not, you're not that old. Or that young, I should say. And um, what's it like? Is it a younger sister or older sister? No, she's younger. She's younger. She's younger. You you don't fight or anything? Sorry? You're not not fighting all the time or anything like that? No, no, no. Um, (laughs) We we didn't really fight. I think we had, I think there was probably one, well, I've been told there was kind of one main fight and I think I was being annoying to her and then she bit me and that was it. That was it. (laughs) I think when I was a kid, I shot one of my sisters with an arrow, homemade arrow. So, yeah, look, uh, oh, that's good. You're much better, much better person than I've ever been. Now, I want to go back. I want to go right, right, right back to the beginning, not when you were born. But what's the first memory you have about being on planet Earth? Um, I think 
um, walking up. Well, I think I was probably being pushed up in the pram um, up the driveway of the house we lived at in Milgrove, which is like right next to the Yarra. And I remember mm-hmm. that. I know. I guess just old falling down shares on the property and right. Um, yeah. Kind of the river environment there, because the Yarra is just, just at the front. How about yeah. the, the noise of the Yarra? Is that that? Can you kind of remember that? Well, I don't know. I don't know if it's if it's if I'm just putting it in there or not. But yeah, I can definitely can definitely think about the Yarra. Yeah, because the, the great thing about living near, near a river is that is that constant little roar, you know, that goes up and down, up and down. You wake up in the middle of the night and it's there constantly. Um, all right, so Faraday Defiance Syndrome, trouble at Steiner School. It's not an auspicious beginning to life. So where did you go to high school? Uh, I went to, to Hillsville High School right. um, for year seven, year eight, and then moved to... Um, uh, I moved to high school in Eltham. Yep. Uh, which Eltham High, so that was, yeah, when we also left the community as well. Um, right. So, yeah, moved, moved over there and then, I guess, yeah. So, was, um, I'm not prime, but uh, did you leave the community because your parents felt that it was time they moved on or and they've got all they got out of it or or, or um, were there issues involved? Do you got any idea? Um, oh, I think there's a lot of factors. Um, mm. I think one of them... Was yeah, like my dad was working over in the Nilmbik area, and um, yeah, I guess you know, and yeah, I guess a lot of the other kind of kids my age, like there's a bit of a thing at the community because it's quite quite isolated up there. That a lot of people would tend to with kids like, well, like some people stayed on the whole time, but a lot of people kind of left around the early teenage years because right. kids wanted to be doing stuff and. Kind of trapped up there on top of the mountain a bit. Yeah, it's just like the old small town syndrome, isn't it? You know, kids want to stretch their legs and see yeah. who they are and experience life. And you know, it's not. It can be very. It can be idyllic, but it's also very restrictive. That type of uh, existence. So, so, how did you go at, uh, at Eltham? I'm not talking about marks, but are there any particular subjects you liked in high school that you were drawn to? Um, oh, I liked outdoor ed. Um, and yeah, I guess you know I like history. Um, yeah, I guess um, you know it's pretty. Yeah, you know I, I guess I kind of ended up being pretty into English because I like. I guess I, I like to write in a way, um, mm-hmm. but yeah, I don't. Know, I mean, I wasn't. Yeah, I guess you know I, I kind of I kind of found the school environment a bit frustrating, but yeah, like I think. I, mean, I, I kind of found most 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 of the most most areas were quite interesting. I just found the way that they were taught was pretty frustrating. Right. And how about relationships with the uh, rest of the students? Did you got any ongoing friendships, or it was just a matter oh, yeah. of going to school and going home? Um, yeah, yeah. No, I've I've, I've, I've still got um, some some friends. I mean, I haven't lived in Victoria for the last uh, five years, but mm-hmm. um, yeah, I've, I've, you know, when I come back down, I you know catch up with those friends and stuff. Right. Um, yeah, not yeah. I guess you know everyone's doing a bit of their own life and pretty different direction than me. But um, yeah, you know, the, yeah. Like I would say, like you know, have a lot of affection for those people. But yeah, definitely doing different things with their lives now. Right. Uh, so did you get through year twelve, or did you leave before then? Yeah, yeah. What does that so, mean? You got through or you left? <laughs> I so I I got through. Um, right. 
in my exams and then went to uni. You went to uni. You're a bright lad. Yeah. <laughs> I was talking to Kelly before the, uh, the chat we're having, and I was saying how a lot of younger people don't understand satire and irony, but <laughs> don't take me too seriously, all right, Max? No, yeah, yeah, I'm not, not not taking the piss out of you, all right? So you can relax, all right? So, so the world's your oyster. What did you choose to do at uni? Uh, well, I yeah, I, well, I spent a year, took a year off, and went travelling. Um, Excuse me, you, you you graduate from year twelve, and then you go travelling for a bloody year. Yeah. Oh, yeah. oh that's a bit piss weak, isn't it? It is. It is. Yeah, it's good <laughs> so where'd you go? Um, oh, classic white person goes to Europe trip. Right. Um, yeah. Um, which, yeah, I don't know. It's pretty good. And well, did you yeah, hitchhike or when you got there? Or? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, right. I was pretty, you know, I was pretty keen on not spending very much money. So Right. <laughs> most 19-year-olds and 18-year-olds are in that position. Yeah. Oh, definitely. But, yeah, you know, I was, so, yeah, I didn't like kind of, help exchange or kind of woofing sort of things and then hitchhike a lot between different places. Right. Sort of right. So, so what, what uh, sovereign nation states did you destroy in your, in your travels? Oh, <laughs> um, most of the western ones and some of the eastern ones. Oh, which eastern ones? Uh, Hungary, a bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, went to Poland. Yeah, you know, definitely, you know, on, on reflection, could have gone further into the east and spent more time there, but... Um, right. Ended up, yeah, ended up travelling with friends as well, and then kind of, I don't know, as, as the trip got on, it got a bit more touristy and you weren't the typical um, chundering Australians, hopefully. Oh, to definitely try to avoid being associated with this game, but right, yeah, <laughs> no, you know, it's you know, courses for courses. Did you get anything out of the the trip? Did you actually, apart from you know, enjoyment, did you learn anything? I think I definitely learned how to fight on my own. Right. Um, I guess, and, you know, I, you know, I, you know, had, you know, when I was doing the kind of woofing stuff, um, you know, did a bit of union, unionisation, unionising of the, the other woofers who were getting a bit, you know, I guess I had quite a few, a, a couple of um, times where the people who were running the, you know, the places were trying to make us work heaps harder than they said and treating us too badly. And, right. Had a bit of first-hand experience of that sort of like, no, you know, stuff you, we're not going to do it. Yep. Um, mm. and, and, and then, yeah, I guess just like, you know, hitching is pretty, you know, I, I, may, I, I don't know, I, I, yeah, most of my travelling was, was hitching. So right. thousands of kilometres of hitch, hitch, hitchhiking, which was, I know it's good, was fun, but also, yeah, I guess, you know, just learning to be, you know, getting in a car with someone who you might like. You know, someone who looks like a biker and sounds pretty scary, and then they end up being the nice person, ever, and they give you, buy, buy you some sandwiches and That's right. you know, go away out of their way to take you to where you want to go. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. I guess a lot of kind of like things of like you know, you know, not judging people too quickly and stuff like that. Well, that's good. Well, young Kelly here's one that wants to put her oar in. Oh, I was just wondering, um, do you know about woofing, Joe? Oh, of course, I do. Well. You explain it to the listeners. No, Max can explain it because there might be some people that... Um, what? We've got people who don't know what woofing is. Maybe. You're I don't kidding. know. Yeah. Oh, well, Tell us about it. Explain it to our elderly audience. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Um, I guess it's just like a... Um, 
work in exchange for accommodation and board kind of yeah, situation. Yeah, and yeah. Often on kind of, I don't know, doing... Well, I guess wolfing in the original way was willing workers on organic farms. Yeah. Um, but I guess more... I, I was doing through different websites and that, but it's just, yeah, I guess yeah. ways to do like, you know, go and stay somewhere for a couple of weeks or a month or two and, yeah, kind yeah, of yeah. pay your way with like 20 or 25 hours a week. Yeah. of whatever sort of work they want and then you get food accommodation. That's a really cheap way but also a way to get a bit embedded in whatever society you're moving through. Exactly, like uh, in the 60s of the kibitz movement in Israel and then we had in the uh, 70s and 80s we'd had uh, Australians going to Cuba and Albania when they were authority, uh, you know, uh, under communist rule and they would do agricultural work and, and then obviously this is more of a, uh, as you said, it's an organic farming type of uh, way of getting uh, labour in there. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? People, you're there as a volunteer for food, basically, and uh, people treat you badly. That's 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 not good, is it? Mm. Yeah, it's like we treat um, so-called guest workers here when they come to work on uh, farms and things. You're listening to Radical Australian Community Radio 3CR 855 on your AM dial. This program is streaming on 3cr.org. The program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. So you came back, and wiser, not a cent Probably. in your pocket. What did you do? Um, oh, went to uni. Yeah, went to uni and, um, yeah, studied, um, called a Bachelor of Politics, Philosophy and Economics. Uh, Pol- hang on, could you say that slowly, please? A Bachelor of Politics, Philosophy, Philosophy and Economics. And economics. Um, it's like a politician breeder course. Right. I guess, yeah, I guess. A- am know. I talking to a future Prime Minister here? No. No, not. right. <laughs> um, but, um, yeah, I guess, you know. I, I, so, I, so, what? I, if you're going to be, you're going to be some Polly's, you know, boy. You're gonna. If you got this degree, it gets you into the office, does it? And then you can work your way up and stand for a unsafe seat and then a safe seat. Definitely. Well, there was, you know, some of the people in the in the doing the degree were like in the Labor Party and then graduated from school and went straight into work for Tony Abbott. So we're not, you know, yeah. weren't particularly like. I think they were there for the money, a lot of them, um, and there for the power. Which I, I don't know. I guess like I, I think it helped put a little bit of meat around the bones of my political understanding. But, yeah, I guess I, I did that degree because I was shitting myself about the state of the world. Right. Um, I was already, you know, also started doing other sorts of campaigning and stuff at that time. Like, yeah, I guess since I, when I came back from travelling, I just, I guess I got, started to get much more politically active. Right. So what did, what, are the, what did your lecturers and fellow students think about you? You wouldn't have been, you know, you, weren't, you didn't cut the mould correctly, did you? Nah. You nah, weren't, you weren't a... Career politician, you know, who's got no experience of any type except working in a minister's office, and you you had no intentions of doing that. So, did you think it was a waste well, of time doing the course? Um, I mean, like at the time, I I I guess I I guess I thought the best way to make change at that point in time was to try and get the Greens elected. Right. <coughs> Sorry. Right. I was involved in the Greens, and I guess. Um, yeah, you know, I didn't. I didn't like the idea of doing that sort of work, but I thought, you know, that's where power is, and right, right. to make change, you need to, you know, kick out the bad politicians and put the good politicians in. Right. So when did when did you, when did you decide this wasn't the uh, life for you? Um, 
uh, I went, yeah, I guess I had some, oh, you know, I guess, guess some, like, things happening in my life that, um, a couple of traumatic events, um, and then I went travelling overseas and um, kind of stumbled into a blockade camp um, in Scotland. Um, right. It's called Lane Peace Camp. Um, What's it called again, sorry? Uh, it's called Fuzzlane Peace Camp. Right. And what, 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 um, what's, what's its purpose? It's, yeah, I guess its purpose is, is to kind of resist the English, well, uh, the British n- Trident nuclear weapons system. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the, 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 the sub, like, yeah, I guess the British Empire keeps its submarines up in Scotland. Um, and, yeah, I guess this, this place had been a blockade for 35 years. Um, right. They occupied some of the military land and, yeah, I guess it, um, I guess I, I had been involved, like I'd done some stuff with um, WACA in Melbourne and, and some other sorts of activists. Yeah, I guess some different sort of stuff, but I was definitely a bit more of a kind of, I guess it was something I was I was, I was doing, but it was like, you know, like university and that sort of stuff was more like, that was my main thing and the activism was on the side. And I guess right. going there and hearing about them doing 365 days of direct action on the, on the, on the, um, Mutual facility there, and you just like very much expanded my understanding of what was possible with direct action, and I guess you know, I guess let me understand. You know, I guess there were some people there that had conversations with me, and you know, became very aware that I was more of an anarchist than I was a liberal, and um, I guess I was just like, okay, I'm gonna ditch the course, and when I get back and do, yeah, I guess look for look look for the best place to resist. Right. Um, so, um, yeah. just explain, as they say, please explain. Yeah. Uh, obviously, you lost your love for a parliamentary democracy or representative democracy, let's call it what it is, representative democracy, and you're more yeah. interested in a direct democratic type of direct action. So, do you yeah. think that actually happened in that camp in Scotland or you'd been toying with these ideas for a while? Yeah, I mean, I've definitely been, you know, I've been involved in direct action in um, Melbourne as well, but I guess I'm still kind of seeing direct action as a... Now, I'm, I'm talking about before you went to Scotland. <coughs> yeah, 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 totally. Yeah, yeah. Um, I guess I kind of... I guess I didn't see it as a as a way to... Yeah, I guess I didn't have a, a revolutionary perspective, I suppose. Right. Um, and I, like, I saw it as something that was like aimed at trying to put leverage on existing power rather than being a tool to break down existing power. Um, And I I think for me spending, I think, three weeks in this camp in in Scotland, you know, with some people who were, you know, very kind and I guess talked to me a lot about the world and power and revolution and that sort of stuff. And... um, yeah, I guess, you know, I started to be like, oh, okay, that's what these people in Melbourne who, who were, you know, had talked to me about this sort of stuff, that, that's what they mean. I guess I kind of had a bit of a light bulb moment in in that sort of sense. And, right. Mm, right. So the, yeah. the road to Damascus, as they say in the Bible, you had that light bulb moment. So you came back and what, you moved to New South Wales when you came back? Uh, no, I, I came back at the end of 2017 mm-hmm. and, um, yeah, um, a month after I got back, the first action started happening up at the Adani blockade. Right. 
Um, so I packed my stuff and went up there. Um, right. When you said you pack your stuff, it wouldn't be more than a knapsack, would it? No. Well, I mean, yeah. Look, a lot of my stuff stayed in my pants, but um, yeah. Yeah. but um, yeah, took took a backpack and moved right. up there. So how long were you at Adani for? Um, in total, a year and a half in, right. in two different stints. Right. Um, so, so what, what, what did you do? Um, uh, That's a long time. Two different, different stints. Sorts of things. Um, oh wait, yeah, things uh, that are things that you can talk about on radio. Okay. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Um, oh, you know, facilitated and helped. You know, encourage a lot of legal actions that happened up there throughout. Mm. 2017, 2018, 2019, 20, right. yeah, 2019, yeah. Were you, were you very isolated uh, in, in uh, those actions or was there any support locally for what you were doing? Oh, there was a couple of, couple of great locals, but, um, yeah, you know, pretty isolated. There's not, right. not a very supportive, you know, I guess, um, <coughs> sorry, the, yeah, I guess that part of this continent has, like it, um, my understanding is it had a very strong like union history back in like the fifties and stuff, and then I guess there was a really concerted effort to break that community. Um, so like the closest town to where the camp was called Collinsville, and yeah, it's got like one of the highest un- un- unemployment rates. It's like very, very, in- very suffering place. Um, yeah, that, and, yeah, that's uh, that's um, what um, Banana Shire, I think, in Queensland. Yeah. Um, yeah, so how rewarding was that stint? Oh, oh, it was good. I mean, yeah, I guess, you know, um, like, I guess I, I learned a lot of some people up there and I guess, the you know, the, the experience of kind of full-time campaigning, um, you know, I guess, yeah, you know, learned a lot about how to use my body and use collective power to to kind of do things to disrupt um, the, you know, the normal mm. destructive way that things were happening. Um, and yeah, you know, I guess just like honed, well, you know, maybe not honed, but yeah, I guess just learned a lot more about the real dynamics of, you know, trying to build power um, on this continent and, you know, the, the, you know, like, I guess the, like working, working, you know, with, you know, I guess like different different groups of people and um, trying oh. to do things that were pushing, I guess, you know, were probably more radical than a lot of people wanted to happen in their particular spot. But yeah. you know, people like people like direct action, but they don't want it in their area, right? In, in, in a lot of a lot of ways. So. Yes. So obviously, it's also about building confidence and courage. Yeah, the two C's. I mean, that's what you need in direct action. You need confidence that uh, what you're doing is right, and you need the courage to carry it out. And uh, and experience gives you that. You know, you, you're like a. I hate to make the analogy. You're like a trained soldier in many ways. Hmm. I mean, I mean, but your 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 skills have come through experience and learning from those experiences. So, what happened after Adani? Um, yes, yeah, so I. Moved to Brisbane um, when Extinction Rebellion kind of started, um, and yeah, then was involved in the yeah that campaign for the next kind of year or year and a half. Right. Um, so yeah, I guess using a lot of those skills 
that I, you know, had learned up at that camp and applying them to an urban setting um, in Brisbane. Mm. And, um, <clears throat> yeah, I guess continuing to, yeah, you know, I guess similar sorts of actions and I guess trying to, you know, I guess I, I was attracted to Extinction Rebellion because I guess it was, you know, at the time the most kind of system-focused thing that existed around the climate, you know, and, and, and environmental issue, I guess, you know, bringing, trying to trying to draw the link between, like, no, it's not not just, like, a bad, you know, fossil fuel or a bad this. It's, like, it's a systemic problem. And, um, yeah, I guess, you know, I was kind of uh, attracted by the, uh, yeah, I guess, you know, for me, like, the sort of change we need is, is for not just to, to, to replace the people in power, but to um, replace the systems that put people in, the people that we have currently in power in, and, and keep them in power. So um, right. the Extinction Rebellion had the, this demand about uh, citizens, uh, citizens' assembly, which I was pretty into, which how we interpreted it was, um, you know, we were always pushing for this thing, like a binding citizens' assembly, which we, we saw as the government handing up or like are the executive you know the, the, are the ministry handing over power to this political process but um but that would run something like a, a, a royal commission but be able to implement um yeah i guess be able to bypass the parliament and i guess we were trying to build a political campaign to push the government to a position where it felt like it had to kind of some political power to a, a different institution that wasn't one of the ones that it already had. Right. So had, had, you been, had you been able to keep a, one foot uh, ahead of the law up till then? Uh, or had you I, had a few skirmishes and a few charges by then? Uh, I had a charge from Newcastle. Um, right. I was in a protest there in 2018. Um in the coalport there, uh, but yeah, when I when I went to Brisbane, I, I had hang to, on, hang on, hang on. Let's go back. Let's go back. People don't know you, Max. All right, twenty eighteen. So what happened in twenty eighteen? Um, yeah, so frontline action on coal, mm-hmm. the mobilisation in Newcastle, um, and yeah, I guess the, the intention of the mobilisation was to disrupt the world's largest coalport there with direct action. Right. Um, so what did that entail, you? doing um i ran into the port there and climbed a machine called a stacker reclaimer which um is one of those big things with a massive wheel on it but mm-hmm. um yeah it takes coal off the coal train and then puts it in a pile and then digs it up and put it, puts it on the ship um uh-huh. so i climbed off that um and yeah with 30 or so other people. Right. Um, so it's become a mass action thing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And, and so, what happened to these 30 or so other people and yourself? Uh, well, we, yeah, I guess we were on bail for a, we're on bail for a really long time. Well, well is, is we, you dragged, what, off the crane basically by police or...? Yeah, they, they climbed it. They climbed right. down and got right. me. Um, okay, right. And, yeah, again, then just kind of like... Ended up getting a. So, what was the charge? What was the charge in court? Um, I think I was charged with 
um, hinder mining equipment. Right. And I was charged with armed with intent to commit an indictable offence. Armed uh, with intent? What, did you have a, a, a glove a on your hand, did you, or something? I was armed with a harness. A harness, that's what I'm saying. I said a glove in your hand, a harness. Yeah. Right. An indictable offence. These these are all serious. They throw in the book at you, so hoping yeah. that one or two charges will stick, it looks like, doesn't yeah. it? And and they did. Um, mm-hmm. In the end, so I got, uh, well, yeah, I, I, I got a good behaviour bond. Right. Um, which which yeah, said you couldn't, obviously the good behaviour bond is it would say you can't, go back and commit another action during this particular time, or otherwise we're going to put you in jail. Yeah. Was that the condition, I assume? Yeah, I mean, like I, like I think it, 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 it was, you know, a, a, an alternative to a fine. Like I think it was right. quite, like, yep. I guess sentencing, yeah, sentencing has gotten a lot worse um, for the similar these actions recently, but... Yeah. Well, um, what, yeah, what happens is that the, the way they neutralise is they say, look, you've been charged, we're not going to jail you, we're not going to fine you, but if you go back to these activities, you'll go automatically to jail. I mean, it's a way of, you know, diffusing actions and putting a bit of fear yeah. up people. So how did you respond to this? these threats? Um, oh, I was very law-abiding for the next year. Mm-hmm. Um, well, yeah, I, I guess I was in Queensland. So, um, right, you were law-abiding. So, so what happened? Well, I guess it's not very good at communicating between states. Um, uh, I, I, yeah, I guess I was very involved in the, yeah, I guess in Extinction Rebellion in Brisbane. And, right. Um, yeah, I guess was part of quite a few actions there. And, um, yeah, I guess it was pretty, I guess it was my first kind of experience of real kind of what felt like momentum, I suppose. Um, yep. Lots of people just kind of joining from all sorts of walks of life and, you know, being prepared to, Take risks and, or not necessarily take risks, but you know, being prepared, you know, like calculated risks. From a calculated. Lot of people, like yeah. we're going to make change, and mm. the system isn't making change, so we have to like, yeah, take take calculated risks to try and force the change. And mm. Um, mm. yeah, so I was, yeah, very involved in that for the next kind of year and a half, I suppose. Mm. But I I understand at some stage you. Uh as you intimated at the beginning of the interview, that you found yourself in jail. How did all this happen? Um, so that's, yeah, that's just like a few months ago. Um, what happened? Uh, so I was at um, the Blockade Australia mobilisation um, mm-hmm. in at, at, at the Port of Botany yep. um, in Sydney. And, yeah, I went in there and climbed off a crane. Um mm-hmm. Where the, the, just the shipping, like a shipping container crane over right. here, and yeah, um, yeah magistrate. Well, well you armed with a, were you armed with a harness again? Were you? I was armed with a harness. Yeah. Yeah. Look, it's a terrible offence that ha- You know, so the magistrate wasn't sympathetic. No, the magistrate was a dick. Right. Yeah. Um, Hang on, dicks can be useful, all right? Let's, let's, yeah. Let's probably, yeah. So, so what? They threw the book at you to just teach you a lesson, did they? Um, well, yeah, I guess it's, I don't know, it's pretty, pretty interesting. Um, you know, I guess I had very little faith in the law before this, but yeah, you know, there's like a situation where, you know, um, the lawyer representing me, well, like, you know, the state lawyer was saying I should get a good behaviour bond. Um, mm-hmm. the prosecutor was saying I should get a suspended sentence. Right. And then the magistrate was like, oh, no, nah, I'm going to go way harder than that and gave me four months. And four months. I guess it's just like this thing of, you know... Not really, not really the adversarial system if the magistrate is just going, yeah, I guess, 
they, you know, that, that, that magistrate has, you know... Full power in their court, that's right. Did yeah, you appeal? as much damage as they can. Did they? Uh, did, yeah. And what happened at the appeal? Nothing? Um, well, I guess, yeah. So I got sent... So I, I spent, like, the weekend in jail after the action. Mm-hmm. And um, then I tried to plead guilty at that time because um, I didn't have a bail address to go to. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, yeah, the magistrate gave me four months. Um, so I was sent to prison. And... Uh, I guess then the lawyer, the, the, the lawyers that were doing pro bono legal stuff for us, put in an appeal. Um, well, I then went to get bail for that appeal, which was refused by uh, another magistrate. Um, it was found out later as an ex-cop, mm-hmm. um, and they just refused it. So I spent 18 days in jail until we could get a district court hearing for mm-hmm. bail, and then... Right. I was released on on house arrest. Right, um, and and is that is this over now, or is it still continuing? <coughs> um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I had my case had my case finalised um, about a month ago, and right. the district court um, judge pretty much said that it was a miscarriage of justice, and the the magistrate has like overreached. Uh, uh, yep, yep. Well, like went went out of his way to find a way, like said that he yeah. kind of yeah, I guess. I was charged with a lot of different things and yeah. I guess um, kind of manipulated the situation so it could give me jail. Mm. Um, so did you find yourself in jail or in the watch house at the, the local was, police station? Um, well, yeah, I was at, I guess I was at four different facilities. Mm-hmm. Um, one of them was, yeah, most time at the Raman Centre um, in Silverwater. Right. And then I spent a few days in um, a maximum, maximum security jail in Nara. Um, a maximum, or, uh, maximum security jail. That harness has got you into a lot of trouble, Max. Has. Yeah. yeah. A lot of trouble. <laughs> so, any lessons you'd like to share with the world regarding um, that particular experience? Don't be afraid of the people in jail. They're normal people who have been grabbed by the state and cage, mostly mm. for doing things that a lot of people do all the time. Um you know, mostly for trying to, yeah, you know, for lots of, you know, yeah, I guess a lot of very minor crimes. Um, well, you know, what, you know, I, you know, trying to make money under under capitalism. Right. For a lot of them. Um, yeah, I guess I didn't have any, you know, like, you know, I guess there's obviously people in there who are struggling a lot. You know, the conditions are pretty horrible. Um, like, I, when you go in there now with COVID, like, I did 10 days of solitary confinement. Um and, you know, it's pretty full-on, pretty, pretty full-on. Didn't really have enough food in there. Um, you know, the, like, stuff that's, you know, rent. But I guess, you know, I, I guess the it's, the prison system in there is, is horrible. But, you know, a lot of the other people in there are, you know, I, I guess some of, you know, I guess there, there was a lot of solidarity, I think, between people in there. And I think it's a bit of a common misperception that the most dangerous thing in jail is other prisoners. I think definitely the most dangerous thing in jail is the jailers and the jail. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, you know, like, definitely not, you know, it's not something that I think, you know, I think jail is a very, very bad place. Um, but, yeah, I think, you know, for me it was just like, you know, most, yeah, I, I guess these are just not, not, not normal people that, um, you know, you, you, you know, that um, New, New South Wales in this case has decided to lock up. Um, and, yeah, I guess I... Spent a couple of days in the in the kind of um, in the proper jail, and 
um, got to see the kind of working conditions in there. So, like, they don't give you enough food in jail, so you have to work to to um, build up this kind of, like, buffer of money that you can then buy food back off the, the company that runs the jail. Um, mm. And so people are working in there for one 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 dollar an hour um to doing you know all sorts of just like i guess really basic sorts of jobs um right. and yeah i guess you know right. I, I definitely you know I, I saw that i saw that for a day had one day of it so it was a very kind of like little you know but this is this is the way that yeah i guess in my mind like the prison system largely right. is a way to get cheap right. labor of people and um Right. Now, Max, you may find this hard to believe, but we're nearly running out of time. We've got only a few minutes left. I'm going to ask you two questions. Mm-hmm. The first thing is, uh, have you got any plans for the future that you yeah. want to share on radio? Yeah, definitely. Um, so, yeah, I guess um, the um, network that I took the action with uh, is called... Um, I... Um, is called Blockade Australia, and I guess we, I guess it's it, it, it set up, um, I guess, similar to the way that um, Blockade Adani was set up to oppose a shitty corporation that was trying to um, do, do damage and extract value out of that part of the continent. I guess this this organisation is set up to Blockade Australia as, as their kind of what what we see is kind of the, the organisation that is primarily responsible for the exploitation and destruction of this continent and the climate. Um, and yeah, we've got a mobilisation in Sydney happening at the end of June. Um, and I guess what we're asking for is that people um, look at the the environmental conditions around us and you know the extreme things that have been happening over the last years, years and kind of and and also the kind of like the total, total um, failure of the political system to address that problem. Um, and, yeah, I guess, like, yeah, I guess we're asking for people who, who are serious about survival to um, acknowledge that this system is um, was set up to exploit the people and the environment on this continent and nothing has substantially changed about that and that we can't expect this system to change and to start prioritising, you know, the protection of life in, 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 into the future. And I think so from, from that, we're asking people to kind of start to take political action that is fitting with, um, yeah, I guess, dealing with a, a rogue government um, and, and, and a rogue political system that is, that is, that is a threat to us all. Um, so I guess we're, yeah, in, in June we're... Um, Organising uh, mobilisation in Sydney to try and dis- disrupt um, this system in its kind of what we see as its most important centre of political and economic power, um, and I guess the place where Australia as an organisation started. Um, so I guess yeah, we're asking people to come from uh, across the continent to participate in uh, a week of um, direct action on political resistance. Um, to kind of right. the climate denial that is happening. Yeah. Are there any, I know it's difficult, but any contact points that people can actually access? Yes. Um, there's a website. Uh, people put in their search engine, Blockade Australia. Um, we've got social media as well. Um, we've got a Telegram channel. Um, 
and yeah, I guess you know we're really keen for as many people as possible, you know, to to come along. Um, yeah, I guess you know, getting, right. yeah, right. Well, that's good. That's good. Um, so, um, if anybody wants to come along, um, what do they need to bring with them apart from confidence and courage? Um, yeah, I think you know. Um, yeah, I guess there's a, um, I guess, well, confidence and courage mainly, but yeah, I guess, you know, things to keep yourself warm and things to, right. um, you know, I guess the basics of, yep. you know, keeping yourself kind of alive for a week, but yeah, I guess, yeah, you know, well, that's great. we're going to have, yeah, uh, you know, there'll be different different kind of places that people can come and stay at if, if they're keen and, um, right. yeah, you know, it, it'll, it'll, yeah, I guess we, we hope that it's, and an empowering experience for people, where people can kind of, yeah, I guess, step into the power that that they do have, and that the community has to resist um, the exploitation and the destruction of this continent. And um, yeah, I guess that's that's what the mobilisation is geared around. It's geared around us, you know. I guess the disenfranchised population um, learning how to wield power against this system and. Um, right. But yeah, I guess it's kind of it's a you know it's also a bit of an experiment. You know, it's, um, something that yeah, I guess in lots of places around the world, there's um, people kind of organising against their their state there, and I guess it's something that you know. I mean, obviously, first nations people are doing that here, yep. and there's different groups doing it. But I guess we're That's right. We well, there's, there's a, com- a commonality well. about it, and also there's obviously individual variation. Look, Max yeah. Kerner, I'd like to thank you very much for a giving us an hour of your time to uh, tell us about your life and uh, what you're doing now. And if anybody wants to, uh, uh, I won't say follow in Max's footsteps, I'll say get involved in this type of activity, this type of direct action, I encourage you to uh, look at the website. Now, all I can say, Max, is all the best. And can I give you some unsolicited advice? Yeah. Always pack a toothbrush and toothpaste if you go to jail. That's my experience, okay? <laughs> Always pack it first. Have it in yeah. when you go to court because you never know, as you found out, what a magistrate or a county court judge can do to you. All the best. Thank you. <laughs> okay, all the best. And all the best for the your activities at the end of June. Bye-bye. Great. Thank you. Throughout the month of June, we'll be asking you, the listener, to support radical, community-owned media during our Radiothon. We'll be taking donations online, over the phone and in the station to help keep 3CR going for another year. Independent community media is vital and we need your support to keep community strong. The 3CR Radiothon kicks off in June. To donate, go to 3cr.org.au, call the station on 03-9419-8377 or drop in at 21 Smith Street, Fitzroy during business hours. 3CR, keep Keep community community strong. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.